0: Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrugan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. So today we continue our series called The Way from the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been looking at the words of Jesus concerning how we're to live this kingdom of God life. And our topic today is mind your own business. Sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? And I wonder if you've ever been on the receiving end of that comment. I sometimes get a mind your own business response from some of my adult kids, not looking in any direction. (laughs) It's not always with words, but with that kind of butt out, speak to the hand look when all I'm trying to do is offer some amazingly wise, helpful, (laughs) insightful advice about how to clean or how to iron your clothes or something like that and they're not one bit interested. And I can feel a bit like Beth in this illustration, where all Beth is trying to do is be helpful and she's not appreciated at all. The problem is we actually do need one another's help. And the Bible is full of one another statements. Care for one another, show hospitality to one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, build one another up. And flourishing kingdom life is actually dependent on community relationship. So far in this so-called sermon of Jesus, most warnings have been about personal change. And now Jesus turns his attention to attitudes that can surface in our relationships with one another. Jesus has no illusion that we can do this kingdom life on our own. We are absolutely necessary to each other. And flourishing kingdom life is dependent in so many ways on us actually minding the business of others, which is why things can get complicated and why we need to take great care how we do this. So let's read from Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6, which is our reading today. You can read it on your app or your phone or from the screens, or if you've got your Bible with you, you can read from your Bible. Let's read together. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This passage is primarily about judgment, how we judge, our attitudes to one another in day to day life as we live together. At first glance, we could understand this as saying, don't judge at all, keep your nose out of everything. However, if we look deeper, we see Jesus is not meaning don't judge at all. After all, we read these words in John that Jesus said, stop judging by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And he also says, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. You can only know a false prophet by making a judgment. Jesus uses strong words to get our attention. Do not judge does not mean turn a blind eye or turn a deaf ear or brush aside or ditch your moral compass. He doesn't mean don't have hard conversations. We cannot live without making judgments and cannot live without others making judgments about us unless we cocoon ourselves away. Growing as followers of Jesus requires judgement in what is moral and good and helpful. Parents are called to make judgments about how they raise their children. We teach our children to judge well so they keep good company, so they keep out of trouble. Those in leadership are particularly called to make many and sometimes hard judgments. We think of our government in this way. In matters of morality, we need to make judgment. We make judgments about who and what we listen to. We are actually making judgment on people all the time. And if you don't think you are, just think about how you feel about the person who you think is judgmental. So in this passage, Jesus is teaching on judgment, on how we make judgments, because it's so important in our community relationships. I'm going to start with the last part of our reading because this section confirms that we actually need to make judgments. Verse 6 said, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet and then turn and tear you to pieces too. There is a proper and appropriate discernment or judgement of what is sacred and precious, right and wrong, good and bad. In the day, dogs didn't have the status of our precious pets today. They, like pigs, would be scavenging around, finding food amongst the rubbish. Dogs and pigs don't value pearls, so it wouldn't be appropriate to give your valuable, precious pearls to them. Heaven forbid, give them to me if you don't want them. (laughs) They'll just trample them underfoot. Also, a dog in that day was a humiliating, a humiliating label giving, given to those who were enemies of God's community, and a pig was an unclean animal. Just as Jesus was saying, do not throw what is sacred and valuable to you at animals for whom it holds no value, don't throw at others your precious truth if it holds no value or interest to them. They will just trample it and maybe tear you apart too, even if you have best intentions. That doesn't mean don't say anything at all, ever, but use wise and discerning discerning judgment to give what is appropriate for where the other is at. Just like we heard about youth care this morning, they give non-judgmental care. Don't be a Bible basher. Saying someone's a sinner and they're going to hell is most of the time not appropriate. Don't give a theological treaty of how someone is blessed to share the sufferings of Christ when they're grieving the loss of a loved one. That's inappropriate at that time. If you feel you have great advice to pass on, don't barge in like a bull at a gate with your pearls of wisdom. If someone doesn't want to hear your wisdom on God or how they should parent or how they could better live, then just butt out. You'll be just seen as interfering and imposing your views on them. Find other, more appropriate ways to care. Maybe just offer some practical help and then pray and wait for the right time. And then when we do have permission to speak into another's life, we need to do it with great care. Jesus is not saying don't speak at all. Discipleship involves warning and challenging at times. Many of us are only here today because of something that someone said to us, something that someone challenged us with, out of love. But we need to do this with great care. Jesus said, do not judge. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is not so much about whether someone else is right or wrong, but how we judge. What doesn't fit in kingdom life is critical judgment, condemning judgment, unforgiving, unfair judgment judgment without seeking to understand. We're so prone to observe someone's behavior, we don't like what we see, so we make an internal judgment about their character. And then gradually we have this sense of our own moral uprightness, a superior attitude. We all do this even if we only do it internally. Jesus said a few verses later after our reading from today in this same sermon, so in Everything you do, including your judgment, do unto others as you would like them to do to you. It's about our posture to one another. The saying goes, don't judge another until you've walked a mile in their moccasins. It comes from a poem, Judge Softly. Pray, don't find fault with the man that limps or stumbles along the road, unless you've worn the moccasins he wears. Or stumbled beneath the same load. There may be tears in his souls that hurt, though hidden away from view. The burden he bears placed on your back may cause you to stumble and fall too. It's so easy to find fault, to develop a condemning, critical, superior attitude. The pastor Richard Dhand in the book Men Sent from God says, tongue in cheek, of course. It's very easy to make critical judgments of the pastor. If he's too young, they say he lacks experience. If his hair is grey, he's too old for the young people. If he has five or six children, he's irresponsible. How can he afford to raise them? If he has no children, he's setting a bad example. If he uses a lot of illustrations, he neglects the Bible. If he does not use enough, he's not relevant. If he condemns wrong deeds, he's cranky. If he doesn't, he's compromising. If he drives an old car, he shames his congregation. They're not paying him enough. If he drives a new car, he's setting his affections on earthly things. The point is, we're all tempted towards being critical and judgmental, and we've all experienced being criticised. Putting others down, finding fault, actually makes us feel superior. A judgmental, condemning spirit is part of our fallen human condition to a lesser or greater degree. The media, social relationships, our schooling, our work situations, and sometimes even our families are immersed in it. We learn it from earliest age. For those who live under critical, condemning judgment, it's exhausting and debilitating. Like the poor young man who was looking for a wife. He was struggling to find a person his critical mother would approve of. Every time he brought someone home, his mother would criticise her. So his friend suggested he find someone like his mother. So he looked and he looked and he looked until he found the right one. She looked like his mother, she walked like his mother, she talked like his mother, she even thought like his mother. This was a miracle. So he took her home. The next time he saw his friend, he asked, his friend asked if his mother had approved. Did his girlfriend meet his mother's her critical judgment? The man answered, yes, it was great. My mother loved her. But sadly, my father couldn't stand her. <laughs> so, joking aside, God is calling us into a kingdom of God living, a new way of living where Jesus is king of all we do and we take a lot of care in our community relationships. I love this little book of illustrations, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse, and how these four friends with all their issues relate to one another. Here we have the boy in deep conversation with the mole and he says to the mole, I wonder if there is a school of unlearning. I often wish there was a school of unlearning for some of my judgmental attitudes that have been formed over many, many years. And thankfully, there actually is. And Graham spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. It is where we let God reshape us into who he has made us to be. I saw a great bumper sticker this past week. It said, Be the person your dog thinks you are. (laughs) Our dogs are often more confident in being treated non-judgmentally than the people around us. But even better than that, let God shape us into who he has made us to be. Jesus warns us, with the measure you use on another, it will be used on you. So what is your judgment measuring stick? I'm so thankful for the measuring stick that God has used on me, the cross. Does God measure all our sin, the sins of commission and omission, the seen and unseen, all our guilt and shame, then tally it all all up and record it in his little black book and keep a record? No, as we come to him, recognising that we fall so far short He judges us with grace and mercy and compassion and understanding and forgiveness. He doesn't want us to stay the same. He doesn't just turn a blind eye, but he's patient, he's long-suffering, he's kind, he's good. Romans 2.4 says, Do you despise the riches of God's kindness, forbearance and patience? Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to bring you to repentance. God's grace changes us. When we understand, that is, really understand, the measuring measuring stick that God has used on us, we will use a kinder measuring stick with others. We will go and do likewise. We'll do it imperfectly, of course. We'll fall and fail. We are not Jesus. But by his spirit, We can sit in the school of unlearning and let God shape us anew as kingdom of God people. If we have a condemning, critical attitude to others, we demonstrate that we don't really understand the mercy and forgiveness that God has offered us, and we are self-righteous. And such religiosity blinds us to our own hypocrisy. We read in verses three to four, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Imagine... A man with a huge plank of wood, like a rafter, in his eye, trying to remove a speck of sawdust from another's eye. With such a huge log, the man's vision would be severely impaired. The speck of sawdust does need removing. We know that even a small speck of sawdust affects our vision so much. But the thought of someone helping when he's blinding himself is ludicrous, it's impossible. It's hypocritical to think he can do that. This would be funny if it wasn't actually a common problem in relationships. The hypocrite thinks he can clearly see the sin of the other but has not seen his own sin, his self-righteousness, his judgmental attitude. We all do this to some degree, because we become so familiar with our own sinfulness. And this is where we really need to be careful to mind our own business. We find it easy to turn a microscope on another sin while we look at our own sin through the long end of the telescope. We can name another sin but cannot name our own. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take out the plank from your own eye. Actually, being a disciple means you should acknowledge you have a plank that needs to be removed. You humbly acknowledge you desperately need Jesus. You look at yourself knowing you haven't made it, that you fall so far short, and you come to God with this humble attitude and pray, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. With this posture of humility and repentance, you can then be helpful and not destructive. You can then compassionately help remove the speck from another. The thing is, we all come with our specks those known to one another, and those secret specks that nobody else might know about. And we all need help, but we need help from the right kind of people. The story of the woman caught in adultery is a great example. In the microscope is the woman's sin. Her speck is on public display. She was vulnerable, completely at risk, shamed. She had broken the law, and according to the law, It's appropriate for her to die. Notice she didn't deny her sin. And then there's also the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious police wanting Jesus to apply the letter of the law. They were practising unyielding judgment as they viewed their sin through the long end of the telescope, completely unaware of the plank in their own eye. Jesus could have rightly judged this woman by the letter of the law. He was sinless. He had no plank in his eye. But what did he do instead? Firstly, he addressed those who were judging her, the hypocrites. He said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, judge yourself, and if you are without sin, then judge her. One by one, they quietly slipped away. Then what did Jesus do? The only man in the crowd that was qualified to pick up a a stone and throw. He did not condemn, but he bent down, he stooped down. It says in the King James, I love that. He wrote on the ground. He wrote on the earth with his finger. Nobody knows what Jesus wrote, though of course there's many theories. But he took a posture of humility. He stooped down to where she was at. Is this not what Jesus has done for the whole of humanity? He stooped down from heaven and he's written his name, he's written his grace across the earth. And he then said to her, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't turn a blind eye, he loved her. He died on a cross for her. Jesus does want to deal with the specks in our eye and he does use others to do that. That's called discipleship. But our qualification to help is the recognition that we too desperately need Jesus. Our understanding of Christ's forgiveness, his mercy and grace in our lives diminishes as we lose touch with the depth of our own sinfulness When we no longer see ourselves in the drama of the woman, when we feel that we're free from accusation and judgment, we can easily lose sight of God's grace, forget what he's done for us and stand in the place of the hypocritical religious leaders and not recognise the plank in our eye. Jesus is not simply committed to the requirement of the law. He knows none of us can keep it. But he's committed to the care and transformation of the woman before him, and of every person, including the religious leaders, who bring a debt of sin into the circle where he sits. When we see ourselves in the place of that woman and reflect on the seriousness of our own predicament, we gain a new vision of Jesus' love and mercy. And instead of being hypocritical, we weep for our own sin And then in an attitude of humility, we can weep for the sin of others and weep with them. We can see their shortcomings as they can see ours, but we see through clear-visioned, self-judged, tender, compassionate eyes. Then we can help attend to the speck in the eye of the other. The eye is a very tender, sensitive part of the body, When we want to remove something from the eye, the natural tendency is for it to close up and protect itself. It takes gentle, patient care to remove that foreign thing. The soul is even more tender than the eye. Gentleness, carefulness, tenderness, compassion, kindness, patience, empathy are needed as we tend and care for one another, as we walk with one another. This sort of grace operating in a community changes the dynamic of a community. We're not against each other. It creates space to have difficult conversations because we're all aware that we all have planks in our eyes and we all desperately need Jesus and we all know we have specks that need removing. We're all on the same page. One thing that is so important in our community dynamic and will help us judge more kindly, is to remember the iceberg principle. We only see a small part of the iceberg, and we only see a very small part of one another's lives. We see and observe the behaviour part, and we're apt to judge the behaviour without knowing the full story. We see above the waterline, with no idea of what's happened below. We see someone who's angry or irritable or sharp or immoral or bitter or whatever, and we don't see under the waterline. We don't see what's happened. We don't see the rejection, the abandonment. We don't see the abuse or the estranged parents. We don't see the sickness or loneliness or tiredness or the great disappointment or the work pressure or the relationship breakdown. All the things under the surface contribute to the above. And it's not that everything is excused or accepted. There are times when serious judgment and attention is needed regarding behaviours. However, when we recognise that there is almost always a hidden story, then we can more compassionately judge behaviour without becoming self-righteous ourselves. I'll tell you about my sister and her iceberg. My sister had a little girl who had a rare genetic disorder and died when she was just short of two years of age. They lived in the country so they they stayed with us for much of the time and her little girl had died in hospital and it was two days after her baby's death and she needed to get out for a while and so she decided to go down to the HBF office to deal with some medical bills. She lined up in the queue and she eventually got to the front and presented her accounts. There were some discrepancies between what she thought she should be refunded and what HBF thought she should get. And it didn't take long for a minor disagreement to escalate into raised voices and a quite an aggressive conversation. People started staring at her and rolling their eyes at this rude, very unreasonable customer. And just as another teller was about to come and save the teller from my sister, who was getting quite aggressive, she blurted out in the hearing of the whole office, my little girl died two years ago and all you care about is my money. You can imagine how the person attending to her felt. And all the people in the crowd or in the office suddenly changed sides. Suddenly they were with her, not feeling sorry for the teller. As they understood why her behaviour was so unreasonable. She was hurting. There was so much under the surface that explained her behaviour. didn't make her behaviour right, but understanding that was crucial to judging her behaviour. I was really touched by Dina Gower's prayer last week as she prayed for unity at our service. She prayed that we would seek to understand why our Indigenous young people are struggling so much, that we would seek to appreciate what's happening under the surface for them, that we'd walk a while in their moccasins rather than be judgmental. A true Kingdom of God discipleship community is where followers of Jesus are wanting to encourage one another on towards becoming more and more Christ-like, which includes helping one another remove the specks of sin in our lives as we together seek to bring glory to God. But we do this with an incredibly careful minding of the other's business. After all, it's been said that Christianity is just one beggar helping another beggar find bread. When we see ourselves as we really are, just beggars, and recognise our poverty before God, then we can better see others as they are, equally dependent on God, equally in need of a saviour. Instead of being judgmental, we weep for them as we weep for ourselves. So let's ask ourselves as we interact with one another and others, are they wanting to hear what I've got to tell them or am I interfering? What is my measuring stick? Are my thoughts or words critical? Has my focus been on the faults of others while I've been blinded to my own faults. Then let's regularly attend the school of unlearning at the feet of Jesus and let God continue to reshape us by his Holy Spirit into the the kingdom of God people he wants us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach Easter, We are reminded of the price you prayed to set us free from our sin. We are reminded of the amazing grace you have shown us, the amazing grace that you have removed the plank and continue to remove the planks from our eyes. Thank you, Lord, that though you died once, your mercies towards us are new every morning. Thank you that in your love you are reshaping us by your Holy Spirit into the people you want us to be. Forgive us, Lord, when we've got it wrong. Would you help us to be careful, to be gracious, to be kind, patient, non-critical, non-judgmental to one another, never forgetting that we're all in equal need of your grace. We pray that our community would be a place where people feel safe and loved and non-judged in the way that we live with one another. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.